the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. The Gospel passage which we have just read is nearly the entirety of the fourth chapter of the Gospel according to St. Matthew. We kind of bent the rules a little bit so that you could hear the whole of this context. Because the church and its wisdom in the Saturday and the Sunday after Theophany has us read these, but it has us read a portion of the temptations in the wilderness yesterday, properly, and of our Lord's travel to Capernaum and the beginning of his public ministry, the beginning of his teaching and of his preaching. And so we read both today so that we could get this context of what it is that our Lord has done and what he does right at the beginning of his ministry. The first thing he does after he is proclaimed to be the Lamb of God, identified by the forerunner and Baptist John, receiving in humility baptism at his hand, what's the first thing that happens after that great event that we have just celebrated on the Feast of Theophany? Our Lord is driven into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. He the Holy Trinity has decided this will be the first act. What those temptations in the wilderness are of great importance for us. They have everything that we need to know to begin our own Christian life. Because every action of the Lord, especially these first and foundational actions that the Gospels call attention to, they teach us something of ourselves. Because our Lord in His human nature came and not just demonstrated, like this is how you do this or this is how you do that, but he was a trailblazer. He said, this, when you follow me, these are the things that your soul will go through, that will happen in your life, and I am conquering and going ahead before you. That's the great importance of the temptations in the wilderness. So what I want to do is take a look at what our Lord trailblazed, conquered, was victorious in for our salvation before he went to the land purposefully of Capernaum to begin his ministry, to begin to preach and teach publicly. Those three great temptations that we have heard, really we could talk about them as the love of comfort, the love of preeminence, and the love of power. Those are the three things that the devil goes and visits Jesus and tempts him to love over and against proper, true, and good love. These three fallen loves, we can call them, are the motivations and the strivings of those that are attached to the world. It's these ways that motivate those of the world and their actions. They desire some measure of comfort over and above what they already have, and so they strive for that. They desire to be over and above other people, and so they strive for preeminence and justify their actions to get that. Or it's the simple love of straight power and glory and earthly rule, and so they justify their actions to have some measure of power above others, to tell them what to do. These fallen loves are what the devil goes and tempts Christ with. St. Basil the Great 
points out that these three great temptations parallel the temptations in the garden to Adam and to Eve. They are the temptation to taste of what is not yours to taste of. To be like God. To know good and evil apart from your Creator. They are the temptations of a comfort, of wanting to be above your station, wanting to know and strive for more, and the temptation to have power, to tell one thing from the other and to command it. St. Basil points out that our Lord went and conquered these three temptations because this is how all of humanity fell. And so our Lord, as the first action that he takes against winning us from the rule of and the tyranny of the devil, goes and conquers those very things. Jesus, the Son of God, is driven into, by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to restore fallen Adam in these very foundational and great temptations to show that human nature doesn't have to be conquered by these. They can be overcome, and the serpent can be trampled underfoot. That is what the Lord did in the, in the wilderness. These three fallen loves, they seem abstract. But the church knows that these things become vices that harm us. They become overconsumption, the vices of gluttony, the vices of maybe wanting too much, avarice, wanting all of these things of overconsumption. They're the vice. The second one leads to the vice of vainglory, where you want and seek always to be praised. And then the last, to those twin passions of wrath and envy. Those things end up destroying each and every one of our souls when we follow them. When we place those loves at the center of our life, then those inevitably become a fruit of that. And those beget so many other sins and vices in our life. So Christ is showing us how those things can be conquered. How we can also be victorious when we follow his way. It's in his responses and how he rebuts these attacks and temptations from the devil that we learn the great lessons of the Christian life. He shows us that they can be overcome by abstinence, by patient obedience, and by the worship and service of God the Father alone. Each one of these great temptations has a corresponding virtue, a corresponding act of relation to God and trust in Him. In the most basic sense, it's the three that we hear about all the time in the Christian life. Fasting, prayer, and charity, or almsgiving. Christ defeats the devil through these three things. And so for us as Christians, we often make the mistake of thinking, oh, this is just what we, this is what we do. We don't know um, the reason behind it. But these things are active. These things have power behind them because this is what our Lord did. He fasted in the wilderness for 40 days. And as the gospel says, and he was hungry. I kind of chuckle when I read that because, like, of course. <laughs> of course he was hungry. He was, in his human nature, 
fully like us. Just like when we get to the end of any fast, even our short one, we're very hungry. And we've been eating. We pray because this is how we know our God. And we give charity because, in another manner, this is also how we worship and serve our God. We give charity and we receive our Lord's love and charity in return to us. Those things conquer those loves of comfort, of preeminence and power, which cause us to continue to fall out of the paradise that our Lord is offering to us. They are what caused our first forebears, Adam and Eve, to fall out of the paradise garden in the beginning. So the Lamb of God that the Baptist points to, the God-man Jesus Christ, he conquers those fleshly temptations so that we can be filled with his victory. And it is by this victory that he then begins to restore humanity to the fullness of what he made us to be at the very beginning of his earthly public ministry. So those temptations, let's look at them just one more stage closer. The temptation with food. The devil comes to him and says, make these stones bread. Not just one stone for one loaf, but give yourself many stones. I know it's within your power. There's always the truth behind the temptation. But the temptation is one of self-sufficiency, one that has no reference to God, and it is appeal to flattery, to lead our Lord into the sin of gluttony. That's what the temptation is. But Christ responds by stating that his reliance is on God's providence alone and through his word. So our Lord says that he relies on trust in God's providence, not on his own ability to do something. And he removes that seeking of comfort as the motivation for his actions. So the devil fails there, and he moves on to tempt him with preeminence. He takes him up to the pinnacle of a temple, of the temple, and he says, if thou be the son of God, cast thyself down, and the angels will catch you, essentially. The temptation is a temptation to prove your position, to prove that I am above others, that I have a special and unique role, and that I will tempt God even to prove that that is what, how he sees me, that I deserve special treatment, we could say. But Christ again responds and rebuts the temptation by saying, do not tempt the Lord thy God. And instead, our Lord focuses not on who he is as the Son of God, but on who, how he treats and relates to his Father in heaven. So what does he do? What is that? It's a meek response. And that meek response obliterates that temptation toward preeminence and toward the seeking of vain glory. So the devil fails there too. And he moves on to a raw appeal to power. He takes him up onto a high mountain and says, All the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, I give thee if you fall down and worship me. There's something interesting going on here because the devil acts as if he has the ability to permanently give this to somebody, to give this even to whom 
devil is not yet convinced is actually the Son of God, but he thinks that it is in his power to give this. And our Lord responds to this in the strongest way possible. The temptation to take as your own or to give what is not yours to give, because that's what the temptation is. That's what power is, to give what is not yours to give or to take what is not yours already. Power is about forcing someone to give or to take. Christ responds to this temptation by a complete and utter rejection of the offer and of the offerer. It is a response, we could say, a demonstration of what righteous anger looks like. It is the opposite of wrath. Because wrath is motivated by that giving, that taking, that power. But a righteous anger is one that responds to wrath and envy by saying, I rely on God. And I know that it is He that has all that He can provide. All our things are provided by Him. Righteous anger comes from that motivation. A complete and utter trust in God for all things and a complete rejection of those who lie and offer what they cannot actually offer. So wrath and envy are defeated. Power is defeated. So Christ, having accomplished this great work of these defeating these temptations, the angels minister to him. He hears of the imprisonment of John the Baptist. And he goes to the land of Capernaum, to the land of of Zebulon and Naphtali. Jesus goes right into the lands of darkness and separation from God, traveling a great distance to get there, purposefully saying, I'm going here. I am going to begin to preach and to teach in this place at that time. So Christ makes Capernaum what we could call his home base. St. Gregory Palamas says that Capernaum, because this is where Christ came to dwell, and to preach, and to teach, and to begin his travels around that region, he says that clearly this dwelling place symbolizes heaven. And as it bears within it the inhabitants of heaven. That is what our Lord is teaching us in these times after Theophany. He goes, he conquers, he is victorious, he trailblazes away for us. And then he who is that great light guiding the way, he goes into the land of darkness to guide us. It is important to have this image of Christ as the light shining forth the way. Anyone who's attempted to do anything at night, whether it's not, you know, in our modern cities, we don't really understand nighttime. <laughs> we don't understand the darkness because we just flip on lights. And then it's almost as if it's daytime in our house or on a street corner. But if we follow the light, if we spend any time out where there's not this electric light, where all we have is maybe a headlamp or a lantern, we know if you've ever won, anyone's ever gone trying to walk anywhere in the night, you need to have a light ahead of you. And if you're in a group, you follow the one who holds the light and you follow him, trusting in his way. This is what our Lord is to those who are in darkness. The life of those outside of him, the Gentiles, are on a dark and broad path, easy to fall. And our Lord is, the in, is indicating to us that he is going before us and showing us that narrow path. 
the narrow way, the way leading out of the path of destruction. And so we follow him, knowing that these fallen loves, these loves that can never give anything really back to us in any permanent way, that those can be defeated. They don't have to be what we understand as human life. And having conquered that fleshly temptation that is in the pers- his very person, Jesus says that these fallen loves that are, we so often identify ourselves in, that these are the root causes of our sin. And Christ goes then and preaches and teaches, having shown the devil to be powerless over human nature when it is united to his divinity. So our Lord is the indication of the way and demonstrates, not just demonstrates, but paves the way for us. So what do we have before us? To rightly love God by our trust in him. To be secure in him. To know all is God's to give to us. Christ's ministry did not just end there in that land at that time. Christ's ministry continues today in the life of the church. It continues by going continually into the lands of darkness. Those that are inhabited by all of those struggling to find the narrow path. The church goes as that light. It goes into the land of the shadow of death, which is really the land that is consumed by sin. It lives under the fear of death, because sin is the shadow of death. We live under that silhouette in that darkness, and our Lord and his great light comes and dawns before us. This is the feast that we're celebrating, the light dawning to us. For we are not, if we are not seeking it, then we are on that dark and broad way that we are warned about. But our Lord in the light, and as the light has this to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that kingdom of heaven is Christ and is the way that he is showing us to conquer those fallen loves by the trust and the virtues of prayer, fasting, of charity, making these a cornerstone of our life. And then we dwell in that kingdom with him. Paradise enters into our existence. All of us here today, we can respond. We can follow his way. We get there. We get to go with him when we practice how he has showed us to live. How he has said, look what you can do with me. When I am united to you, then that love becomes a true love. The love of the Christian struggle to be with him. We refrain from that abundance and sinful desire. We take up an attitude of patience with ourselves and others as we struggle to live out the commandments. And we place worship and service to others as the cornerstone of our life. So we must, as Christians, fast, pray, and be charitable to walk with the Lord, to follow his light. When we do this, those fallen loves disappear. The kingdom of heaven enters into our existence, and that great light not just shines before us, but enters into us. And we, who live before under the shadow of death, are no longer under it. That shadow disappears for we now are in the light. So this, contemplate this, take this, 
ruminate on the great thing that our Lord has given to us in his victory. And may each of us take that up, look into our life and say, from this day forward, I will follow Christ. I will see that which he has given and won for me, and I will follow that way. This is the great thing that our Lord is offering to us. And in that way, his love, his light, and his joy, and his peace, they are what enter into our life. And we are changed, and we rejoice in that great thing that the kingdom of heaven is at hand to us. Amen.